0: Good morning, all of you who are in here and those on line, whether you're watching live this morning or you'll be picking it up at a, a, another time. Uh, I, I trust God, uh, certainly as God has uh, stirred, has meddled with this idea of prayer in my life in preparation, I trust uh, God will meddle with you, um, stir your heart bring about kind of a recommitment to something that may weave itself in and out of our life. And uh, special, I appreciate um, Pastor Derek's comment about Life Group, because this morning we're going to see another reason why Life Groups uh, we see as a significant strategy uh, uh, to help us fulfill the mission that God has given this church of making successful followers or or faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and we will discover that, why it's important, why it's important. We are continuing, and we're coming close to the end of our study in Ephesians that we have been pursuing, and again, the first three chapters are really the theological uh, understanding of God. Uh, Theology is, is just words that are true about God that are revealed in Scripture, And it's based upon these three chapters. It's really the flushing out of the gospel. We say good news. Here's the good news. Go back and read one through three of chapter three. When we get to chapter four now, he's telling us in light of the gospel, this good news, this are the imperatives or this is how it should work itself out in your life. This means it should impact this gospel, this good news, should impact how you view work, how you view money, time, how you view the church, how you view the purpose of life. The flushing out of the gospel in the first three chapters are to impact your relationships, husband and wives, parents and children, employers and employees. Followers of Jesus Christ in a family within the church. However, last week we discovered that this working out of the gospel in our life today, as we go about life, trying to uh, incorporate and assimilate the gospel into practical living, it is being conducted in a war zone. Sometimes we lose sight of that. That this good news that we treasure, we hold on, we grasp to give us hope because we recognize it is being worked out in our lives in a war zone. Last week, uh, Pastor Derek Totten took us to that famous passage where it tells us we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against each other. We sometimes act that way. We treat each other as though we are the enemies, but that's not the true enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual in nature. There in chapter 6, it says, we fight against the rulers, against authorities, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Since we live in a war zone, to walk worthily which is the theme of our study, to walk worthily, since we live and operate and we are trying to apply the gospel in life, we have to understand how we walk worthily. It means to walk alertly. Alertly. You don't freeze and stop. You walk alertly. You still move forward, no matter how difficult, no matter how tough the battle is, you're still called to walk alertly. Not paranoid. The battle is real, the enemy is real, you do not have to be paranoid, last week Derek told us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, but it does demand to walk alertly, that we walk wisely, with wisdom. This is the passage of Scripture. Let me read about the battle that we studied last week with Pastor Derek. So if you were not here, you'll want to go back in and listen to the application of that Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 6, 14-17. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We understand, you know, a lot about walking alertly, being immersed in truth, making sure our our faith is resting on the promises of God. Walking alertly demands us to assimilate and to understand the implications of resting in the work of Jesus Christ, uh, our sufficiency truly being in Jesus Christ. But what we don't understand much about is prayer. Verse 18 is a continuation. There's not a gap. Some of the translations will put a period at the end of 17 and and create maybe a sense that the start of this uh, introduction of prayer as a whole separate, removed from the armor of God. But it's not. Verse 18 is a continuation. It's detailing the armor. And prayer is a part of it. Armor and prayer are connected. Armor and prayer are connected. If I repeat myself, I'm talking to myself. That's the way Jake was supposed to preach this sermon. As you know, when you preach or teach, you know, it usually uh, you're the one that's being called to. Uh, reinvest yourself anew into the uh, material that you're studying. And so that's why um, you may hear a tinge of conviction on Pastor Ed's heart. The teaching of Ephesians 6 on prayer, as we look at it, some of those perceptions of prayer might be mistaken notions, things that you caught along the way that you thought were about prayer, but actually became obstacles to doing it. In fact, sometimes, perhaps like me, you're praying and you don't even realize it, because it did not fit in that little box that you are accustomed to when all the kids around the table Uh, folded their hands and closed their eyes and no looking around. The prayer that deploys the armor is not a formula. It's not a certain style. The prayer of Ephesians 6 that is the type that is part of the armor, it stands in readiness. It's alert, stands in readiness, stands in a responsiveness, and it stands or kneels in a reliance to God. Whether the battle is raging and you're fully aware of the stress and conflict all around you, or whether it's calm, prayer is a state that you are bathed in, that is is who you have become because of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We will enter into it regularly and naturally. And that's why I say naturally, because sometimes you may not even be aware aware because you had not classified that as a part of prayer previously That in actuality, your thoughts are going before God. So let's look at this. So that like I this week and like you, will recommit to a greater degree to take a step forward in this activity that God tells us. If you're going to fight the battle, prayer is not optional. So we're going to look at two things in our section of Scripture. First, Paul's instruction on prayer. And then... Paul's example, Paul's example, instruction and example. First instruction in verse 18. You know, I have to give credit to Alistair Beggs, a pastor in, I think, no, Cleveland, Ohio. He is. He's a Scottish pastor, but I appreciated his teaching. So, some of my thoughts are certainly are reflected on his work and some of his sermons. And one of the sermons he gave specifically on chapter 18 are the alls of prayer. Because within verse 18, we have four times all. Where it says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So for instructions, I just want to talk about these four alls. I thought about titling my sermon, The Cover Alls of Prayer. Because verse 18 covers... I, I want to be careful, because there's a lot throughout Scripture written on Prayer. So the first one, pray at all times. Pray at all times in the spirit. Now one of my favorite uh, editorial cartoons that was in Christian Leadership magazine. I, I tried to find it so I could show it, but you know, this was back in, who knows what year. But it shows a picture. It's just a one picture. It shows two people in a canoe. And it looks like they kind of lost their way, and now they are dangerously posed, about ready to go over a waterfall. And they have this panic-stricken look. They're right on the edge. And, and, and one says to the other, uh, we need to pray. And the other said, can we paddle and pray at the same time? Pray all the time means you can you can pray. All time is the right time. In keeping with Paul's battle or war analogy, we understand about being alert and praying all the time. Because your enemy in a battle does not operate by a clock. Your enemy does not announce to you at 10.45 we're going to attack from the west side and try to breach your defenses. Pray all the time. Enemies that war against you do not forewarn you. Likewise, prayer does not need Prayer does not need a set-aside time. We benefit from set-aside times. Certainly corporate prayer, when you want the body to come together, you've got to decide and agree on a time that you come together. Setting times help me recommit to the commitment of Prayer. But we need to uh, not become so focused on on a formula or a time that we lose the power of all the time. This is where uh, the life groups. We want these communities... where maybe the church is not assembled, where the corporate body's not assembled, or it's not the Wednesday night 7 p.m. prayer meeting, or it might not even be the 6.30 in the evening when your life group meets. We want that life group to mean that you as a member can call upon your brothers and sisters to pray all the time. This is why it's important that you are a part of that. Life groups are to be ready to pray anytime one for another. Now, you know, grant it, you know, some of you don't keep your phone by your bedside. And so it may have to wait we understand that, but I was surprised we have one person in our group and they said, "Ed, why did you text at 5am in the morning?" So there are some that are hypervigilant. They are alert. I'm not advocating putting your phone, putting your phone by your bedside. It's not a good practice for a quality of sleep. But you get the point. how nimble. We want these life groups to become in support. Not only spurring you to pray at all times, but asking for prayer on your behalf. But notice it's descriptive that that's praying all the time is in the Spirit. It's in the Spirit. This means it comes natural, and it flows out of a maturing in Jesus Christ. It becomes easier to, almost unconsciously, to enter into prayer because of the nature and the personalness of this relationship. It's not mechanical or a formula. It's a prayer that's a natural byproduct of walking in step with the Spirit of God. There's only one right way to pray, and that's in the Spirit. And what I mean by that, when I say one right way to pray and it's in the Spirit, again, it's not an event, but it's more about two personal beings who have a personal relationship, and they are communicating. And in this case, it's between God and you. All the time is the right time to pray, because it flows out of an understanding of your conscious dependence upon God. There's an old hymn, I, I think, uh, he lives. And in the uh, hymn, it says, I walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way. Um, you know, I, I used to think that was a little weird as a kid growing up, you know, because I envisioned these people, and occasionally they walk up 11th Street by my house, and they're talking out loud, and nobody's with them. And, and so I always, you know, when we came to sing that hymn, I thought, well, that. That's a little weird. But we got to understand this conversation, this communication is not always oral. It's not always out loud. That's what we see by the second all. It says, pray all prayer and supplication. Some versions will say, pray all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. You can speak your prayer out loud, or you can stand silently. You can shout them or whisper them. You can pray in your thoughts. You can write your prayers, draw them, or sing them. You can pray with your eyes open or closed, kneeling or standing, or even while jogging, or washing dishes, or painting a fence, or fishing. Uh, Perhaps the most significant prayer, perhaps, is using groans and tears. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, it tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So that's why I say sometimes groaning and tears because we don't know exactly what is going on. We are just kind of overwhelmed. And best we can say, God, I don't understand. And we offer an expression of groans and tears and offer those to God. And then the last part of that, you know, pray all kinds of prayer and supplication. Make your requests known. We're told to do that. However, Scripture is clear. Do not think of God as a vending machine. Oh, I kind of understand how this prayer thing works. And God, you know, if I put in the right amount of quarters, if I exercise the right Christian behavior, if I say the words right, if I'm nice to my wife, then God owes me. You make the request knowing that God sees a much bigger picture than you do. God is about a much bigger purpose. than you getting the life that you want on this earth. Making your requests are humbly given, always deferring, though, to this bigger picture that God is directing all of history, when all things will be united, that is moving to. And so we defer our requests to God's wisdom in those requests. Uh, The the third all we see here in verse 18 is all perseverance. I call it all perseverance. Some um, say with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Always keep on praying. Some translations will just interpret that as all perseverance. That's hard for me to persevere in prayer. And I can't really say that I, I, I do. Um, You know, it used to be when Connie and I dated, she went to Western Oregon University, there in Monmouth, and I was down in Eugene. And this was in the old days, where if we really felt uh, lovesick for each other, we might invest the quarters at the payphone on the dormitory hallway and converse by phone, but most often, we used that archaic um, letter or handwriting on a piece of paper, sticking in an envelope with a stamp. And I would write something, and then I'd get an uh, answer a few days later. You know, it, it seemed like it took two to three days for some reason back in the old days. I, I guess the horses stopped for a break from Eugene to Mammoth, but it seemed to take two or three days, and then about two or three, I might get a response from Connie. But, you know, if um if response from Connie did not... Connie's my wife, in case you don't know. Uh, Connie's my wife. I, I, I make some assumptions, so some of you folks, uh, I, I apologize. Uh, uh, Connie's my wife. Um, but if, if, you know, if she did not respond, uh, my expectation that I should hear from her by a certain time period, uh, you know, with time, it would bug me. It would bother me. I had an expectation, you know, within six days, you know, I, I, I should hear by then. The longer the d- delay in her responding, the harder it was for me. Back then, we would measure this impatient by days, but now my impatience is measured by minutes. I mean, if I text my wife, Connie, it should be instant, but maybe five minutes. (laughs) Six days. It may be half a day, or maybe she never got it, or who knows what, what happened. And it would tend to uh, uh, create this angst, this, uh, uh, I ought, I ought to have an answer to what I asked of her. Why are you not responding? Due to technology, we expect immediate responses. Making perseverance that comes from the ability to wait Almost non existent, and we have the same tendency with our prayers to God, expecting answers now or at least within my time frame that is reasonable. Does your understanding of God and prayer allow you to persevere knowing? you may never realize the answer to the prayer in this life. This raises an issue in prayer that is difficult to answer. Why, God? Why don't you answer the prayer? Kind of like my asking, Connie, why aren't you answering? We may do the same thing with God. God, why are you not answering My prayer. Or, God, if you know the future, then why should I pray? It doesn't change anything. Why why should I be invested in this activity you call prayer? I like the answer of one pastor, not Alistair Beggs, a different pastor. Uh, His answer to the question, he says, I don't know. It may seem, that answer may seem like a cop-out, but how can we expect anything less than saying, I don't know? Because in essence, you're saying your human perspective and thinking is limited compared to an almighty God. It's, again, this um, unwilling to accept perseverance that we want an immediate answer. We want to understand everything and be able to put in a nice, tidy box. Sometimes, you know, as you talk to um, uh, Christian friends, uh, sometimes we try to give an answer, but we're stumbling and we really don't have an answer because the real answer is we don't know. Why God waits sometimes. Or why God does not answer our prayer like we think. Whenever the spiritual and the physical intersect, there's mystery. And the only thing we can say is, I don't know. Miracles that defy a science. How did that happen? The Trinity. Alistair Beggs, the pastor there in Cleveland, he responds this way, God ordains the end and the means to the end. In that there is mystery. In that there is something we don't understand. But what we're called to in this passage, we are called to pray even if we do not fully understand you're still called to pray. And we still know from Scripture that God is using the prayer. Don't get hung up, uh, debilitated, or demotivated like I tend to do because I just don't understand it. After all, Jesus Christ himself Prayed. It was important to him. It ought to be important to us to be faithful, to know that we've been called and in some way, this spiritual uh, battle is being conducted and my prayers matter. Perseverance demands we anchor ourselves not in what we don't know, but what we know. And I want to read Psalms 13, which I think is an excellent commentary on a prayer of perseverance. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But then we see what motivates his prayer even when he doesn't know even when it's not answered. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And the fourth and the last all, we are to pray for, there in verse 18, we are to pray for all the saints. All those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's what we mean when we say saints. And it's not saying that you're going to remember each one by name. But what is clear about all saints you're going to pray for the names of those that you remember that you don't want to pray for. Everyone, all, even those that bug you, even those that irritate you, even those that you might view as your enemy, for Scripture does call us to pray for your enemies. For those who spitefully use you. Particularly pray for them. This clause here, praying for all the saints, does not give you an out. For an attitude, a posture of prayer, even in regard to them. Pray for all the saints. Remind us that prayer is an activity to pursue even when there's no personal benefit to you. There's nothing in it to you. Pray. This prayer deploys the armor of God. It's not self-focused. It's not focused on on getting the life that you want. I pray in order to get the life that I want. This is not self-focused. It looks outward. It prays for the needs of others. Focusing your prayer only on self leads to an unhealthy self-absorption. A vending machine mentality towards God. The scheme of the evil one. We talked about the battle with the spiritual realm. And it's wage with schemes. And this is one of the schemes that I I pray only uh, to derive benefit. Well, when you pray for those, all saints, including those that are hard, you actually benefit, not in that they change, but you change. Pray at all times, uh, Paul tells us here, in the Spirit. Pray all kinds of prayers and supplications, requests. Pray with all perseverance and pray for all the saints. Um, The last uh, point is the example that Paul gives us of prayer. And two things I want to say under this. Paul, uh, a lot of people, like even Pastor Ed, can preach about prayer, but does he do it? Okay. Paul practiced what he preached. He practiced what he preached. We read, I'm going to conclude by reading one of the prayers, but before we do, Paul himself, we see in our passage of Scripture, verse 19, pray also for me, he says. He, he understands the battle. He understands his tendency, so he's telling the Ephesian believers, hey, I'm first in line. Folks, pray for me. I've been giving this mantle of bearing the cause of Christ and being a, a beacon for the church. I need your prayers. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. No self centeredness in this prayer. Uh, He's not praying to get out of jail, he's not praying that the soldier chained to him would lessen the tension on the chains. Pray that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. I I think, you know, a lot of us, and again, this is why even within life groups we talk about DNA, which is just a smaller group, like three men with three men and three ladies with three ladies, uh, because um, some of the things we need to ask prayer for. If we truly want to walk freedom in Christ, the bondages and the baggages that keep us cluttered and... and, um, um, not free in Christ, need to be jettisoned, and we can invite in that closer, uh, man, would you pray for me? Uh, Paul, a leader, I imagine we all esteem highly. He requests prayer for himself because he knows of all people, he knows what he's capable of. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. And so I'm, I'm saying here, if Paul needs people to pray for him. In light of this, what about you and I? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. So, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. This challenge in life that Paul had was to keep him from becoming conceited. Paul is asking for prayer. I know my flesh. I know my nature. I know how easy it is for me to be conceited. To be self-sufficient. To measure myself based upon other people. I know the ploys I do to try and create a sense of value and self for me. Men, I need you to pray that I won't go there, that I will truly find it in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Men, I need you to pray for me. I need you to check with me. This isn't a one-time gig. This is all the time. So Paul, Three times he prays, uh, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He needed prayer because he had to learn to accept life as it is, including the weakness that was used to keep him humbled. What an example. What an example. So we need to carve out either relationships you have, one with another, just informally through the church or like we talked about through life groups where you can invite others to pray in a similar fashion. And then uh, his prayers that he gives to the Ephesians for the Ephesians people. And this is what I want to end with. Um, you know, again, I, I, you know, when when I was talking about perseverance, I, I thought, okay, we, you know, what's the difference, God, between perseverance and begging God? You know, certainly perseverance is much more self-focused. Uh, I am. Uh, my motivation is uh, I want a certain life for myself. Not that it's bad. Not, not that uh, you know good things are okay until they become ultimate things. And sometimes in the begging it really is an expression of making something, uh, I want that red Toyota pickup, a good thing for Ed Sutter. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. But the prayers that persevere that you're not in danger of. Is really praying for uh, spiritual. The, the example given there is of Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, uh, he's going to destroy because of the wickedness. And Abraham uh, perseveres by praying for the folks there. God, would you destroy it if there's 50? No, not if there's 50. What about 45? And we have a picture of... Um, Abraham does not give up easily. But he's praying for the spiritual well-being of people. That's what we are to persevere for. Uh, Notice, uh, and that's why I say, use Ephesians 3 uh, to kind of give you an idea of the things that you should persevere in prayer regarding praying for. Never give up praying this for Pastor Ed. Never give up praying this for your family, for yourself. Persevere saying this prayer. Let me offer it in closing for us as well. Um, You can... Starting in verse 16. I pray, God... Out of your glorious riches. Out of your might and power and strength, God. It's out of you. Not what I can do in my flesh, but it's out of your glorious riches that I, my friends here, will be strengthened with power. Because we are encountering a lot of things, Lord, that overwhelm us. We are trying to uh, encounter them in our own flesh and strength. God, teach us what it means to be strengthened out of your glorious riches through your Spirit. Not that we get what we want, but it's that our inner being is being changed. How we learn to accept life and have peace because you're in control. God, that we would know and have the confidence and security that Christ is dwelling in my heart through faith. God, as I sit down in the morning and read my Bible, as I study, as I go about my day, may I be increasingly rooted and established in love. God, overwhelm me to try and grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. I I try to imagine what that is, God, but it's far superior than I can. May it just lead me to worship, just to, uh, at that time, maybe just groan in wonderment. God, may I um, explore the circumference of your love that surpasses knowledge, that it exceeds a room of a classroom or the pages in a book. It surpasses all human knowledge. May it fill us, Lord. God, now you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And you have the power, so according to your power, that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.